0: Hello everyone, my name is Haley Elizabeth and if you don't know who I am, this is my true crime podcast where once a week I sit down and I talk about all things true crime ranging from murders, disappearances, cults, all the way to the biggest drug bust in history, the biggest bank heist in history, all things true crime. And So if you're interested in any of that, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel and watch the visual version every Wednesday or you can head over to Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find podcasts to listen to the audio version every Tuesday. And for today's case, we are going to be talking about the of Tracy Richter. Now there is a lot to get through, so we're just gonna hop right into it. In a very small town in Iowa named Early, has a population of around under a thousand people. It was a big town, but not many people lived in it because it was mostly for like farmers or retired people that wanted to just live on the countryside. It was a town where everybody knew everyone and not that much crime really went down in the town. It was mostly just a fun and loving community until one night in December of 2001, a 911 call was made from 11-year-old Bert, who was hiding upstairs in his bedroom with his two younger siblings, Noah and Mason, who aged three and one years old. He was saying that someone had broken into their home and attempted at killing his mother by strangling her with her own pantyhose. The family consisted of Tracy, the mother, Michael, the father, Bert, their oldest son, Noah, their second oldest son, and their youngest girl, Mason. When the police arrived to the scene, there was lots of screaming and crying from the kids and Tracy, but Tracy and the kids turned out to be okay. And at this time, Michael, the father, was actually out of town for work, so he wasn't home currently. But when the police walked into the scene, lying on the ground, dead and covered in blood, was 20-year-old neighbor Dustin Weedy, who had been shot a total of nine times. Tracy was then taken to the hospital because she could complained of having breathing problems after this whole situation and when she was at the hospital is when she started to tell the police what happened. She said that she had been attacked by two intruders, one of them being Dustin and another was a man that she had never seen before and one of them attempted at choking her with her own pantyhose. She said that she was able to shoot Dustin out of self-defense but the other one ran away but she was able to give a description of the other man. Now right away when Tracy is telling her story to police, police are starting to pick up on a couple of odd details. As for Dustin, Dustin was a family friend. He cut grass for the family. He had barbecues with them. He went to church with them. He seemed like a close member of the family. And so it was very odd as to why Dustin would try to, you know, cause any harm to this family, especially bringing another person along. Tracy gave a description of this other person but it was very very vague. She said that the man was male and between the height of 5'11 and 6'3 which is quite a difference in height. She said that they had an average build ranging from 35 to 40 years old and either had dark brown hair or black hair. And so it seems from her description, it was so vague and it sounded like literally anyone. And it seemed like she didn't really know what this person looked like because she gave a pretty broad range of height. She said maybe brown hair, maybe black hair. And the police also found it very off that the Intruders were there for her because they were looking around the house and they found that there was around $23,000 worth of jewelry just lying around the house and lying in her bedroom. And so they found it very odd that these intruders wouldn't go for the money, but they were just going straight to attacking her. Tracy continues her story and she said that she locked her kids in the bedroom upstairs and she went into her gun cabinet and shot Dustin in self-defense a total of nine times. Now, as you can probably tell, this story is all over the place. There's not really, you know, a this happened, this happened, that happened. It's just more of, you know, random details being spewed out. And so the detectives tell her, breathe, calm down, take us back from the beginning. What exactly happened? So Tracy explains her story from beginning to end. She says that on December 13th at 4 p.m., Dustin came over to the home. She said that she never really felt comfortable with Dustin around without her husband home, but on this particular day, she just kind of let him hang out around the house. Later on, her friend Marie had come over, and when she came over, that's when Dustin left. Marie was actually going to spend the night at Tracy's house because both of their husbands were out on a business trip, but Marie never ended up spending the night because Tracy said that Bert had like a baseball game in the morning and the baseball schedules were just going to get too overwhelmed, and so Marie just decided to leave and go home. At around 6 p.m., Tracy was bathing her daughter Mason, and all of a sudden she heard a noise downstairs. Now, since this was a small town. There wasn't really much crime. It was the type of town where people typically just kept their doors unlocked and so she just kind of assumed that maybe it was Marie coming back or maybe it was Michael coming home early but she then found out very quickly when she saw Dustin and a random man walking up the stairs as if they were about to attack her and so she took Mason and locked all three of the kids in the children's bedroom upstairs. When the men came came upstairs, they dragged her by her ponytail and she was able to run away and ran to the gun cabinet. But before she was able to go there, she was choked with her own pantyhose. She was choked to the point where she was unconscious for a bit, and then when she woke up, she woke up to two intruders trying to break down a door in the home. Now she never says which door this is, but I'm assuming it's the door to the bedroom where the children are at. She then ran to the gun cabinet, grabbed out two different handguns, and shot Dustin nine times while the other intruder ran away. Now, a little bit of backstory on Tracy before moving forward. Tracy Ann Richter was born on May 11th, 1966 in Chicago, Illinois. She was very, very smart in school and was described as very academically motivated. And after high school, she even got a full ride scholarship at a university for radiography. And in 1987, at the age of 21 years old, is where she would meet a man by the name of John Pittman mm It was said that after meeting, they immediately hit it off. And especially John was just so head over heels for Tracy. The couple actually got engaged while they were in college. And then shortly after graduating in 1988, when Tracy was 22 years old, that's when the couple got married. After they got married, they decided to move to Denver, where John was from, to basically just start a family and a life together. Now, John actually came from Money. he was going to school to be a doctor and his family was very well off financially. And Tracy knew this. And one day John's parents went to John saying that they realized both of their credit cards were gone. And when they looked at the bank statements, thousands of dollars were spent on all purchases that led to tracy they believe that tracy had stole their credit cards and just started going on a shopping spree and now to this john loved tracy and thought that tracy could do no harm he was very defensive for tracy he was telling his parents tracy she would never do anything like that like how dare you accuse her of something like this and so because of this it created tension between him and his family. Now, at this time, as I said, John was a doctor. So he was working like over 120 hours a week, all day, all night. And because of this, it led to a lot of fighting within the relationship. And there was this one incident where John explained that one of their fights got so bad to the point where Tracy went upstairs, grabbed a handgun, pointed it at him, and John, out of fear, he ran out of the house and whilst he was out of the house he heard one gunshot go off from the inside but immediately afterwards Tracy ran outside and started to apologize to John and tell him that the gun wasn't for him it was actually for her and the gunshot that she had just pulled off was her attempt at killing herself. John nonetheless called the police immediately because he's like, you just pointed a gun at my face. Like I'm not dealing with that. And so immediately when the police showed up, Tracy was arrested with the intent to use a deadly weapon and was put on a six month psychiatric treatment. After her psychiatric treatment, Tracy did get better for a little while. And the couple actually decided to have a child thinking that maybe a baby would heal their relationship and teach them how to work work together and communicate more effectively. But unfortunately, having a child just made things worse. They had their son, Bert. It actually got a lot worse because now that there was a kid involved, there was a lot more commitment. They now had something that connected them. It got so bad to the point where John became extremely suspicious that Tracy was stealing money from him. And on top of that, he also suspected that she was trying to raise his life insurance policy. Now, if you guys don't know, a life insurance policy is something that your spouse or a close member of yours receives once you pass away. And so the fact that she was trying to raise this life insurance policy, and just recently she had pointed a gun to his face, he was terrified. And so he decided to hire a private investigator to try to get more information on what was happening. But the private investigator would actually find a lot more more than just Tracy stealing. The private investigator found that since Tracy was a stay-at-home mom and John worked 120 plus hours a week, Tracy was seen with multiple men all day long. She would just hang out at the beach and pick up young men and even went on little dates with these guys. When John found this out, he was extremely crushed to find that his wife was basically cheating on him every single day But instead of leaving her, he just was so, so in love with Tracy and was desperately trying for this to work. And so that is when he picked up all of their things and moved the family back to Chicago. And Tracy would still be Tracy because during the move, John had asked Tracy like, hey, where did the two dogs and our three cats go? Like we were supposed to bring the pets from Denver to Chicago, but Tracy told him that bringing the pets with would have been too much of a hassle. So she instead decided to sell all of them to an experimental lab in exchange for money. And this would also show how money obsessed Tracy actually was. And John would later on say that the last straw for him happened when one day John was at work and he gets a call from Tracy and Tracy is freaking out and she's telling him like, I can't say this over the phone but can you please come back to the apartment? I just wanna talk to you. And so immediately, you know, he leaves work because he's thinking, oh my God, did something happen to Bert? But shortly after he leaves work, that's when he receives a phone call from the private investigator saying that he is currently tailing Tracy on the west side of Chicago, which was really odd because they lived on the east side. And so as he was driving up to their apartment, he gets a call from Tracy saying, I'm in the apartment right now. Just come upstairs. Like, we need to talk. Please, please come up to the apartment. But he had a really bad feeling about all of this. And so he calls the private investigator and he asks him, hey, do you have like a sight of Tracy right now? And the private investigator tells John that she is currently still on the west side and she's not in the apartment. And so John had a very, bad feeling about this and he didn't go upstairs and at that point is when he realized he can't be living in constant fear and so that is when he filed for divorce. And even to this day we have no clue who was up there waiting for him or what was going to happen to him but it's probably a good choice that John didn't go up there. And then in 1996 that is when John filed for divorce but unfortunately Tracy did not leave his life. Tracy would then pick up a custody battle over Burt and accused John of sexual assault on Burt and even made flyers saying, quote, Dr. John Pentman, MD of Northwestern Memorial Hospital and affiliated hospitals at clinic sites was found responsible for the sexual assault of a minor slash child by DCFS. Now that is a straight lie because because at this point, DCFS was not involved. It was all just like legal battles, like divorce and custody. And she would post these flyers on the windshields of all of his colleagues at his workplace. And so at his workplace, all of these doctors were now not speaking to him, making his life a living hell, basically, because they were accusing him of something that he didn't do. And it led to him having to quit his really, really, good and high paying job because of Tracy. In the end, Tracy ended up getting custody and John had to pay her thousands each month in child support, even though investigators later found that Tracy had forged signatures on his life insurance policy to raise it. Then then in 1997, the following year, now that Tracy's back in the dating scene, that is when she meets an Australian entrepreneur online by the name of Michael Roberts. And it was said that immediately after Michael and Tracy met, they hit it off and they hit it off so well to the point where a little over two weeks after they met each other in person, they got married. Michael even picked up his entire life in Australia and moved all the way to Chicago just to be with Tracy and Bert. But a few months into their relationship after the honeymoon stage had settled, that is when Tracy started to show her true colors and she began actively cheating on Michael. But although she cheated on him over and over again, the couple still stayed together. Tracy was currently still in a custody battle with John and she would tell Michael how John used to used to abuse her and Bert all the time and even sexually abuse the both of them. And Tracy, for some reason, she was in another legal battle because she was accusing her dentist, who was also her former boyfriend named Joseph Lapiza, and she was accusing him of sexual assault. She said that when she went to the dentist, she was put under anesthesia, but when she accidentally woke up during the procedure, she woke up to Joseph pleasuring himself right above her. And so she was suing him for $150,000. And although she ended up losing this lawsuit, his reputation as a dentist was forever diminished. In the year of 1998, that is when Michael and Tracy wanted to move out of the city of Chicago and wanted to raise a family in a more quiet and countryside area. And that is when they decided to move to early Iowa. There wasn't really much to do in early, but farmland or to raise a family or retire. And so Michael knew that Tracy couldn't stir up trouble in a place like this. But obviously Michael did not know Tracy very well because in 1998 they had their second son Noah and then in the year 2000 they had a girl named Mason. Tracy and Michael started their own IT company and became a very wealthy power couple, and they were liked by everyone in the town. They were very involved in the communities, in the schools, in the churches, and everyone seemed to look at the Roberts family as the picture-perfect family, but that was until December 13th, 2001, when she had shot and killed Dustin Weedy nine times. A little bit of backstory on Dustin Weedy, There's not much of him online, but he was born and raised in early Iowa. He was a very quiet kid, but he loved computers and hoped to do that someday professionally. People described him as a very gentle soul. He was very soft-spoken, but he loved being out in nature. He loved animals, and people always said that he was always smiling at people. Even though he was quiet and didn't really talk much, he was super friendly to every person that he met and he always seemed like he was having the time of his life. Like every time you saw him, like even if Dustin was in a place like the DMV, a place where nobody wants to be, you could catch him there with a big smile on his face looking like he's having the time of his life. So it seems like Dustin was the type of person that kind of enjoyed the small things in life. So going back to the story, currently Dustin is dead and Tracy is explaining her story to police in the hospital. So Michael receives word of what happened back home. He immediately rushes home to Tracy from his business trip. Michael was determined to figure out who this mystery man was and even set out a $10,000 reward for anyone with any information. Now, a little odd thing about this is that the family actually had a pre-arranged trip to Australia And instead of, you know, staying home to make sure everything was okay, to ensure their safety, the family still went on the trip. And on top of that, the very next day after the shooting, Tracy went to the Storm Lake Times local paper and was extremely eager to tell her story and tell everyone that she was this hero, that she saved her three children and she was so brave that she had to, you know, defend herself and defend her family against this crazy intruder. And so when the family went on vacation to Australia, it gave the police more time to thoroughly search the home and create a case of what actually happened that day. And from looking at the scene and talking to neighbors and friends and family, the police were able to piece together a story and find out a lot of the things that Tracy was hiding from the police. From the autopsy, they found that Dustin's body had nine different bullet wounds, but they were from two different guns. And three of the bullet wounds that were found on his head was from an above angle. They also found that the last shot, the ninth shot, was Actually, taken 10 minutes after the eighth shot, meaning that Tracy, because she claims that she's the one who shot Dustin, that means she had to have shot Dustin 10 minutes after already shooting him eight times. This was clear that it wasn't self defense. So now the police are starting to make theories that if this wasn't a break in because clearly they weren't interested in any of the valuables, that means they were were. were there for specifically Tracy because they dragged her down the stairs. They tried to choke her with the pantyhose. So why exactly did they want Tracy? And so that's when the police started to look into Joseph Lapiza, the dentist, because the court date for the sexual assault claims was actually coming up pretty soon. And so the police were thinking maybe Dustin was hired by the dentist to kill Tracy as a part of like damage control. But Tracy then tells the police police that no 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 it was not the dentist it was definitely my ex-husband John. As far as the crime scene itself Dustin's car was parked outside of the home and inside of the car they found a pink notebook. Inside of the notebook there was an excerpt in Dustin's handwriting saying that he was hired by a guy named John Pittman to murder Tracy and her 11 year old son Bert and this was very odd because although Although it was written in Dustin's handwriting, there would be no way for Dustin to know who John is. Dustin was close with the family, but not personally close with the family. Like he would hang out at barbecues and cut their grass. He wasn't really aware of like Tracy's previous marriages and custody battles. So that was a little odd for him to even have contact with John in the first place. And also John lived all the way in Chicago and currently they were all the way in Iowa. And at this point, John really had no connection to Tracy. The only connection he had Dad was giving her child support each month. They found it really odd that why would John hire some random non violent 20 year old to kill his ex wife and child when previously he had hired a whole private investigator? Like, if he's eligible to hire a private investigator, he definitely knows some connections on how to hire a proper hitman. Police later interviewed their son Bert, who uh, was the one who made the 911. Call and his story did complement Tracy's story with the gunshots and the pantyhose, but there was a lot of plot holes in Bert's story, as if he was rehearsing the story before actually going into the station. He said that when his mom ran into the room to save him and his siblings, his mom had pantyhose on her arm, which was very odd because from Tracy's story, she says that she was being choked with the pantyhose and And then when she finally gained consciousness again, she ran to the gun cabinet and shot Dustin nine times. So if she had shot someone nine times and ran to the gun cabinet, why would she still have the pantyhose on her arm, just lying on her arm? And they also found it odd that Bert was the one to call the police. And Bert was an 11-year-old kid who didn't have a phone. And so if he was locked in the room with his siblings, how would he Able to gain access to a phone. But the police knew that Bert loved his mother and would do absolutely anything for her. But unfortunately, due to the lack of evidence, this was labeled as a self-defense shooting and the case was closed. After this incident, Tracy remained married to Michael and the couple stayed together. But you know, as you can see, Tracy is the type of person that can't really stay out of trouble for too long. And so the father following year in 2002 on Thanksgiving a man was discovered unresponsive in a graveyard and this man was actually Brett Weedy Dustin Weedy's father Brett Weedy had actually shot himself right next to Dustin's grave and wrote a suicide note saying that he was broken when his son died and now he can finally be with his son again he says that he has cried every single day for the past year and he cannot live like this anymore. Due to this, the following year in 2003, the Weedy family attempted at filing a wrongful death lawsuit to Tracy, but this lawsuit was later dismissed in 2005. In 2004, the marriage between Michael and Tracy began to fall apart and even after the shooting, their relationship completely just stayed the same. They were fighting constantly and Tracy even began kicking and punching holes into the walls during their arguments. And even though Michael had called the police on Tracy multiple times due to her outburst, I don't know if this woman just has like riz or something or just crazy charm that she's able to get out of every situation, but every single time Michael called the police on Tracy, Michael always ended up being the one that was being arrested and being being put in handcuffs and this only affected Michael's track record and his criminal record for being arrested so many times against violence. And so it just got to a point where Michael just had to deal with the abuse and he couldn't call the police because he knew exactly how it was going to go. Michael even came out to a news outlet many years later and said that in December of 2000, Tracy had physically assaulted him and when he told her that he was filing for divorce, 45 minutes later, he was in handcuffs because apparently Tracy had called the police on him, telling him, telling the police that Michael had threatened to kill her after like some very small dispute. And so he was later arrested for that. And he even said in this interview, quote, she attempted to murder me several times. I had been systematically drugged for maybe a minimum of a week. Maybe a little more. And I thought I was having some sort of breakdown. I was off with the fairies. I did not know whether I was in reality or a dream state. And she said that she wanted to do a trust exercise with me. She had rolled me up in a king-sized cotton sheets. And then I fell unconscious. When I woke up, she was sitting on top of me. And there was a plastic bag over my head. She asked me to take deep breaths until I passed out. And she told me that if I did so that I would then give her all of my trust because she could have killed me, but didn't. At this time, Michael was starting to not only second guess everything Tracy was telling him, but also started to second guess the entire Dustin Weedy situation and even went to the police to speak further about it. It was then when Michael started to talk to the police that he started to find out some info that he was not told by Tracy. And he even found found out some lies that Tracy had told him about the case. Police said that that when they were in Australia and the police had the entire house to, you know, thoroughly investigate, they found that when analyzing the house, the only fingerprints they found was of Dustin and the Roberts family. There was nothing that even indicated a second mysterious man. There was no random fingerprints. There was nothing in the house that indicated a second guy and And it seems like as if the second person didn't even exist. Tracy claims that this man ran away, but around the house, they found no suspicious footprints. It was during that moment where this was Michael's last straw and that is when he filed for divorce. But Tracy being Tracy, during the divorce she accused him of being a terrible father and a terrible husband. She claimed that Michael would frequently beat and SA her as well as her children. She even went as far as going back to the police saying that it wasn't John behind the whole Dustin murder, it was actually Michael because isn't it so odd that he just so happened to be out of town and the police tell her like no it couldn't have been Michael because remember the entry that he wrote in his pink journal he confessed that it was John that was the one who sent him and I'm assuming Tracy kind of forgot that that happened because then she gives out the most sixth grade lie I have ever heard She told police that Michael likes to talk in his sleep and whilst he was asleep one night, he basically confessed everything to her. He said that he was behind all of it, that he had hired Dustin and that like he was the one who had her, that he was the one who attempted at getting her murdered and he was telling her this all in his sleep. So of course it has to be true. She would tell the police as well as the whole town that Michael was crazy and Michael tried to kill her and her family and the whole and the whole Dustin murder should just be pointed at Michael. So this was very odd to police how quick her change of heart was. One minute she loved Michael and hated John and hated his guts and he was going to be locked away for murder because he had hired a hitman on her but then the next minute she says that John is actually innocent and he didn't do a single thing and it was all Michael. Despite, the written confession. In 2007, that is when the divorce was finalized and Tracy had temporary custody over the children. There was a huge custody battle, but in the end, Tracy won custody of all three kids and that is when they packed up all their things and moved to Omaha, Nebraska. Michael even packed up all of his things as well and moved with the family to Omaha, Nebraska in his own house because he loved his kids so much and didn't want to be too far away from them. But Tracy, she was not done with this whole situation. She went to the sheriff of Omaha, Nebraska and told him that Michael had actually planted a picture of Dustin's dead body in her car and she said that Michael did this to make her look bad at a custody hearing. But this would only raise more red flags against Tracy because this makes absolutely no sense. Why would Michael put a picture of Dustin First of all, how is he even getting access to that photo? And then on top of that, placing it in Tracy's car, for what reason? The court does not have to know about this picture. She could have just thrown it away. How would that make her look bad if Michael was the one that put it in there? Wouldn't that make Michael look bad? But all of this, you know, her going to the police station to try to get Michael locked up, this would all later backfire because they ended up finding finding out that Tracy was convicting welfare fraud to which she eventually got arrested for, but was only given probation. In the year 2010, at the age of 44 years old, that is when Tracy and her whole story really started to hit the media where her name was being dragged constantly. I mean, everyone knew that Tracy was the one that committed Dustin's murder, yet she was just being out and about, like as if nothing happened. And so in 2010, at the age of 44 years old, she changed her name from Tracy Richter to Sophia Therese Karina Baroni. Edwards. I'm assuming she did this as a way of like damage controls so no one could find who she was. But what was really odd about this is that not only did she change her name to Sophia, she also made her company name her full name and then even walked around town speaking in a British accent. A lot of people in the town that she lived in said that they would see her speaking in a British accent to people and then the next day, day, like speaking in an American accent. And during all of this, she was actually trying to frame Michael for everything and anything. But Michael was actually in contact with a prosecutor who then decided to reopen Dustin's case to try to look at the case more clearly and even convict Tracy. They found that Dustin was shot in the back of the head at an upward angle. And they concluded that this upward angle resulted from Dustin laying down on the ground. Meaning that if Dustin was laying on the ground defenseless and she still shot Justin, that is not self-defense. That is murder with passion. They also found that Dustin showed up with no weapons on him when they thoroughly searched him. They found nothing that would even resemble a weapon and they even used her own pantyhose to kill her. If Dustin was a hitman and he was like ordered by John to kill Tracy, why would you show up to a hitman job with absolutely no weapons like isn't that the point of a hitman job you're supposed to go there prepared kill the person as quick as possible and leave as quick as possible but for some reason nor did dustin or his friend show up with any weapons it just made absolutely no sense But after a while, that is when they were able to build up enough evidence and create a case, and on July 27th of 2011, Tracy was arrested for the murder of Dustin Wheelie and was checked into the Douglas County Jail in Omaha, Nebraska. They don't believe that this was spare-of-the-moment self-defense, but it was premeditated murder. They found that Dustin was shot with two different guns, and both of these guns were actually found in the gun cabinet of the home. And so if this was not premeditated and it was just scared in the moment, usually you would only grab one gun to just defend yourself with. But in this situation, she grabbed two guns as if she was just open firing with two guns. They found that the notebook entry was indeed in Dustin's handwriting, but they believe that since Tracy has a past with forging signatures, she may or may not have forged this written entry as well. They also found it odd how quick Tracy was to blame Michael for the home invasion and completely disregard the obvious written evidence of Dustin saying that John had asked him to do it. It seemed as if Tracy was just trying to blame Michael because she was mad at Michael in the moment, which would kind of line up because at the time of Dustin's murder, she was currently mad at John because her and John were going through a custody battle for Bert. But despite all this obvious evidence, her current fiance at this time, because this was back in like 2010, she had been engaged to a new man. So her new man and her children and her brother who was a police detective in Chicago, stood by Tracy and her story and felt that this was just a home invasion gone wrong. And she did not act with malicious intent. She acted out of self-defense for the safety of her children. Now this is insane when Tracy was arrested, she was in possession of a bunch of name-changing documents, meaning that she was planning to switch her name again. But she was actually planning to switch her name to Heidi Joanna Frostpaca, which is like kind of a crazy name to pick, you know? It's not really that traditional. But what's even odder is that Heidi Joanna Frostpaca was actually the same name as Michael's new wife. Michael, at this point, he did live in Omaha, just like not that far away from his kids. And it has been four years since the divorce. So he had been remarried, he moved on, and he was living a very happy life with his new wife and his new home. And I'm assuming Tracy grew jealous. And so she attempted at changing her name to the same name as his new wife. I don't really know what she was trying to do with that, but it never went through obviously because she was arrested before she could do anything. As far as her trial, her trial started on October 24th, 2011 with Tracy pleading not guilty. The prosecutors, and it was at the trial where the prosecutors explain what they believed happened. And they said, quote, the defendant Tracy did not want to lose physical custody to Dr. Pittman, who is John, her ex-husband. The defendant did not like Dr. Pittman. She had a strong dislike for Dr. Pittman. So the defendant came up with a plan to make it look like Dr. Pittman was involved in hiring Dustin Weedy to hurt her. Dustin Weedy was at her house on December 13th. There was a pink spiral notebook that he was writing in. The pink spiral notebook would contain information to make it look like it was a journal entry, although there was no date or previous journal entries in this journal. And it will show that in Dustin's handwriting, Dustin claims that Dr. Pittman had hired Dustin to either kill the defendant and their son Bert or make it look like a murder-suicide. But you can ask Dr. Pittman, he didn't even know of a dustin weedy it was later revealed at this trial due to surveillance footage and receipts that tracy was actually the one that bought that pink notebook and on december 13th she had lured dustin to the house and then when her friend marie showed up she needed a quick excuse for her friend to leave and then dustin came back over later on that night She then held Dustin at gunpoint and forced him to write that Dr. Pittman had sent him there to kill her and her son, Bert, while all three of her kids were upstairs locked in the room. She then killed Dustin, shot him eight times before planting the notebook in his car and then came back inside 10 minutes later and fired the final shot into Dustin to make sure that he was dead before the police arrived. And then on November 4th of 2011, that is when Tracy was found guilty for the murder of Dustin Weedy. And when her verdict was read, she immediately started to ball crying. And so you would think that, you know, this is where the story ends. She's locked up forever. No more people getting hurt. Justice is fine finally served, but not with Tracy. Tracy, as you have seen, always has some tricks up her sleeve. And so on December 5th of 2011, that is when Tracy was sentenced to a life in prison without possibility of parole and made a statement to Dustin's family saying through her tears, "quote I've gone through every what if in my head in every possible scenario on how things may could have ended up differently. I do believe that you deserve justice. I really do. But I didn't murder your son. While in prison, she started to spark up a romance with a convicted child rapist by the name of Jim Londa. And this Jim Londa, as I said, I don't know how she's able to use her charm to get people to do what she wants, but she had Jim risk his life in prison to find out the location of Michael and her children. Because shortly after she was imprisoned, all custody went to Michael, and apparently Michael did did get full custody of the kids and moved to California to get away from everything. And Tracy, to this, now knowing their location of where they're all at, she basically said in a letter to Jim, saying something along the lines of like, oh, well, I hope nothing bad happens to them, or like, oh, well, now that I know where they are, I'll make sure to keep a close eye on them, as if she was planning on doing something to them. Michael actually attempted at moving back home to Australia, but he couldn't because Tracy still had visitation rights to her children children and so because of that they needed to stay in the U.S. Tracy also tried from prison to ruin the reputations of everyone who had quote-unquote wronged her. There was this site called Ripoff Report where basically you could talk about a specific person or company and basically warn people about their wrongdoings. It was basically a website to air out anyone's business and it was a free-for-all. You know, There was no process to see if people were lying or not. It was basically just take my word and that's it. Now this website is no longer up and for good reason because if your name slash company were to be mentioned on this website the only way for it to be removed was if you paid a $2,000 fine as well as convincing evidence to the website and that is the only way that you could get your name removed from there and so because of this both Michael and John had really really sucked from this because Tracy was just going on this website constantly and bringing up their name and saying how they did all these terrible things to her and her children. And again, it's literally $2,000 just to get your name off of the site. And you can't keep on paying 2000 2000 2000 to get your name not dragged through the mud anymore. At some point, you just have to accept and move on. And that's what both of them did. And I also think it's very odd that she is the one who's saying that Michael and John are spreading all these lies about her and making her look bad when in the same breath, she was going around using a like changed name and speaking in a British accent. And then even furthermore tried to change her name to her ex-husband's new wife's name. So it kind of just shows you at the end of the day who is really obsessed with who. And then in 2014, finally after a long and frustrating battle, Michael had won full custody of all three of his kids and moved back home to Brisbane Australia and unfortunately even to this day a lot of people actually believe Tracy is innocent and there's even a Facebook page called Tracy Ritaker innocence and it's basically a page to help get Tracy out of jail they believe that Michael must have told Dustin at some point about John Pittman and that is how John and Dustin got in contact leading John to to tell Dustin to murder Tracy and then Dustin goes to Tracy's house to murder her. Now this page, Tracy Riddicker Innocence is actually a page of about 597 members and is led by Bert, Tracy's oldest son. And so Bert, even to this day, same as when he was an 11 year old boy is still sticking to his mother's story. He's still standing by her side and everything that she has gone through and I don't doubt that Bert has definitely suffered a lot of abuse and trauma from Tracy. I definitely believe that if she was putting all of this trauma onto Michael and John, definitely there was something going on with her and Bert as well. And so even to this day, Bert still sticks by his mother's side. But as of today in 2023, Tracy Riddicker is still in prison living out her life sentence. And yeah. that is the end of today's story if you guys found this story interesting make sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe if you're on youtube or if you're on spotify apple wherever you can find podcasts make sure to rate it five stars because that really helps me out a lot if you want to follow me on any of my socials like my instagram that will be linked down below and yeah i hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day make sure to be safe out there drink some water get some sunlight and i will see you guys next week Bye.